Colson Center for Christian Worldview um, did a series of these uh, called What Would You Say? Anyone familiar with this series by chance? Oh, good. Um, they've done questions on sexuality, questions on gender, questions on politics, questions, um, I'm trying to think what else, uh, the Bible, but um, it's, it's a great series. And they asked me to do four of these video scripts and uh, this last one, though, this one, they asked me to narrate it. So I did a script for three other ones, but someone else narrated them. Uh, th- they're the only other ones on, sexual- on, on homosexuality. Uh, but when I did this, I thought, man, they did an amazing, didn't they do a good job? It's just, it's, it's so, it's captivating, it's engaging, it keeps your attention. I'm... I, I, I know that if I live now, um, my teachers would all say, you have ADHD. You know, they would have <laughs> totally drugged me up and everything like that because I'm just, I'm all over the place. Um, and I was, especially as a kid. So when I, I'm a visual learner. I got to hear it. I got to see it. You know, I need to get all the different ways in. And isn't that cool how they did that with the three points and it's just easy to remember and the words, they call that motion graphics. I thought that's, a, it kind of reminds me of like uh, Prager U. You guys familiar with that? Or even um, the Bible Project. You guys remember, are, are familiar with the Bible Project? I, I think animation is just really cool. So... Um, I got to know the, the producer of this, and I'm doing more videos like this, answering some of these questions, like um, the word homosexual was wrongly inserted in the English Bible in 1946, so that's one. The other one is um, um, animals are gay, so there's nothing wrong with it. That's another kind of one, right? I mean, you know, we, you know black swans, etc. I mean, what, one good thing um, that one just... Oh, good takeaway with that is um, don't take your moral cues from animals. <laughs> you know, I mean, if your dog does it, does not justify for you to do it. I mean, it should be common sense, but... Um, so anyway, I'm doing more videos like that. And if you would like to uh, see those, um, I, I have my uh, YouTube channel which it's just youtube.com slash Christopher Yuan, and you can um, subscribe. Yes, I always get the follow and the subscribe, you know, whatever. Subscribe there. Um, and I'm, I'm going to start posting these again toward the end of the year. But the also exciting thing is, remember I talked to you about my curriculum? And uh, so my curriculum, let's see if I do I have a video uh, slide. Yeah, so my curriculum, I'm going to be doing uh, similar so it's going to be using kind of some of that motion graphics and that animation. Because youth, like, I, I would get bored with just a talking head the whole time. And you just need some variety of stuff like that. So um, the video is going to have that as, as well. And um, animation is actually not cheap. Uh, but we're just really blessed. God, you know, I mean... God owns cattle on a thousand hills, right? I mean, he owns everything. So God has opened the doors and it, it's, it's fully funded. We're really excited about this. I just need to do it. So pray for me that I, not only would I get it done, but I would get it exactly the way God wants and that this will transform the way kids think. Our goal with all of this, with this project is this. We want to empower this younger generation to understand, embrace, and celebrate biblical sexuality. We don't want them just to know it, right? 
we want them to embrace it, which means I'm, this is, it's so good that I wanna embrace it for myself. But who cares if you just embrace it for yourself? Good for you, good, you know, not for, you're not, for, not for me. So it's not just understand, not just embrace, but celebrate it. Because celebrate means I'm gonna tell others about it. This is such good news that I can't help, I gotta tell you. So that's our goal for, for this, this curriculum, this project. We wanna empower this younger generation to understand, embrace, and celebrate biblical sexuality. So please get the word out there. Um, this is for everyone, not just a resource for the church or Christian schools, but it's for every parent. We really think that we need to do this um, for, for youth. So with that being said, um, we have, uh, you know, so I talked about the Bible, what the Bible says. Um, my parents had that great uh, workshop. If you want to watch either one, it's going to be on the Calvary Chapel of the Rock website. And, um, but I began with this premise that, that sex is in the Bible, that sex is reserved for male and female. Marriage is between a man and a woman. But that doesn't seem like good news for our gay friends, for our lesbian friends, for those in the trans community. So how do we share the gospel when what we believe does not sound like good news? We have a pretty bad reputation. In general, even the younger generation have a very bad you know, view of Christians. There's a survey that was done that just asked young Americans, what do you think about Christians? And by far, it was all negative. We are viewed to be from the bottom Confusing, not accepting, boring, insensitive, out of touch, too political, old-fashioned, hypocritical, judgmental, and guess what's at the very, very top? Anti-homosexual. Look at those numbers, 91% not raised in the church. That's an enormous number. But what about our own youth and young adults? We teach them, love the sinner, hate the sin. According to the survey, 8 out of 10 believe that we are anti-homosexual. And note what it doesn't say. It doesn't say anti-homosexuality. I-T-Y, three letters, big difference maybe more the behavior or the topic, but according to the survey, we're viewed to be against gay people. And that is wrong. The gospel is not against anyone. It's for every person who's a sinner. It's for everyone to know Jesus and so should we be for everyone. Amen? Amen? But how do we do that? How do we recognize this, <laughs> that we are ready at a huge detriment, but press forward? Because I actually am not so concerned about, you know, how do we address this topic? I wanna know how do we win souls to Christ? How do we share Christ with our loved ones and friends? This is about people. It's not really about a topic or an issue. This is about people. 10 years ago, this is a hypothetical for many Christians. Now this is real, right? It's closer and closer in our homes, in our neighborhoods. This is not like an issue out there, right? This is an issue about people. I used to, 20 years ago when I was in this ministry, I had a pastor uh, that told me, oh, I love your ministry, support your ministry, but we don't have this in our church. <laughs> exactly, I was like, really? Okay, good for you. You must not have sinners in your church. 
So this is about us. How do we do better? Because we have not been doing better. So if you would like my notes, scan this QR code, jot down the shortened URL. But I'm going to talk about ways that we can do better. How do we share Christ? How do we start with biblical sexuality and then move forward? Because it's not just about what we know, but it's about how we do it. But we need to begin with that before we get to the know. Because I think there's some things that we need to correct in our misunderstandings. So my talk is going to center around four things. And the first thing, and I'm going to keep it here for a moment, but if by chance I move forward and you, and you don't get this QR code, this shortened URL is the same thing, will be in the bottom right-hand corner, So just so you guys know. So the first thing is we need to be, we need to make sure that we have the right attitude. We need to be convicted about our own sin first. When we look at someone else's sin, before we do that, let's look at our own sin. Because when I lived as a gay man years ago, I felt Christians were telling me that somehow gays and lesbians deserved a hotter place in hell. That Jesus had to hang on the cross a little bit longer for gays and lesbians. That's not true. Certainly, I mean, yes, same-sex relationships are not God's will. It's sin, but it's not the worst sin. But sometimes we have people who treat it like the worst sin. Those gay people. They're creating God's image. Oh, but you just said, you just spent last hour saying that this is an abomination. You're right, I did. But Proverbs 6 also says that lying is an abomination. Pride is an abomination. So when was the last time your friend was a little bit prideful and you say, you are abomination? <laughs> Maybe we should. Because when you do that, we wouldn't trivialize sin that really grieves the heart of God. But, you know, oh, it's, it's all over the place. It's being shoved down our throats, and I would agree with that. Makes me feel uncomfortable, and we should never feel comfortable about our sin. But they're like, oh, it just grosses me out. That's when I would think that feeling of disgust about someone else's sin, not our own, but someone else's sin, should remind us that that feeling of disgust we have is just a fraction of what God feels when he looks at our own sin. So our sin is just as odious in God's eyes than someone else's sin. Because at the end of the day, you know what, what I want more than anything else? I want people to follow Jesus, to know and follow Jesus. But that's never done through a holier-than-thou attitude, is it? Like, have you ever met anyone who came to Jesus through someone else who was really prideful? You know, I came to Jesus. This older lady, she shared me the gospel, and she was just so pompous. <laughs> I've never heard that before, have you? That's never anyone's testimony. It's someone who's gentle and compassionate and patient and recognizes their own shortcomings. I mean, that's what draws people, right? Not pride, not a holier-than-thou attitude. So number one, before anything else, Let's be convicted about our own sin. That leads to humility. You know, my mom and dad, I mean, they never knew anyone who went to jail. And if it wasn't for their son who went to jail himself, they would never have, still would not have any compassion for people in jail, right? I mean, 
And my mom even says, for her to like even have any compassion on me, it was realizing that, but by grace of God go I. She is no different. I mean, even parents. I mean, we look at our kids, we're like, well, at least I'm not like my kid. Well, but we're <laughs> sinners as well. Just, but by grace. So number one, let's be convicted, leading humility. Number two, we need to be consistent in three ways. First of all, regarding relationships. What is your relationship status? Are you married or are you single? And in our culture, in the world, and in the church, marriage is where it's all at. And singleness, not so much. And you might think, okay, wait, I thought we're at this mini conference on sexuality. What does singleness have to do with my gay neighbor? Everything, everything. Because what do we want for a gay neighbor? Number one, and let's be clear about this. Number one thing is we want them to follow Jesus, not the other way around. We don't want them to turn straight. How, you know, how can anyone stop putting their identity in sexuality without following Jesus first? So number one, that always has to be number one, follow Jesus. And through that relationship, Jesus, guess what? Then they don't pursue same-sex relationships, all right? But follow my logic. If they do do that, then it means they will be single for a period in their life, if not a longer period in their life. And if so, do we have a healthy place for singles to thrive in Christian community today? Yes or no? No. So for calling people out of the gay community, out of the trans community, where's their place for singles to thrive in Christian faith? I mean, that's what my gay friends tell me. What you're saying is your God wants me to be lonely for the rest of my life. And catch what they're doing. They're equating singleness with loneliness. But I know for certain that singleness is not equivalent to loneliness. And you know why? I know some people who are married and they're still miserably lonely. So actually marriage is not the cure to loneliness. You know what's the cure to loneliness? It begins with a relationship with God. That is the cure to loneliness. See, I see so many of our young adults raised in the church, go off to college, they leave their faith behind, and many of them is on this issue. And I hear them saying this, it's unfair. What's unfair? It's unfair that God doesn't allow them to be in a relationship, that they have to be single. That singleness is unfair. We treat marriage as the only way to be happy. The pie in the sky. I think at times we are at risk of idolizing marriage. Let me tell you one of the most deceptive forms of idolatry is when we try to worship something good. Good things are not meant to be worshipped. Jesus alone is meant to be worshipped. See, I think we get it all confused. Sometimes we're trying to push people into relationships. There was, um, my parents and I were kind of front row people because I'm ADHD right? Someone in front of me moving, I'm like, oh, what is that person doing? And you know, I'm just, I have to be like right in the spit pit. So, 
So when we get to church early and we're kind of getting situated, um, and, you know, service hasn't started yet, and you know, people behind you and you're listening, you're like pretending you're not eavesdropping, right? <laughs> I remember one time at church, uh, a guy who, a single guy, young guy, and uh, I just heard they're, they're like all this kind of commotion, a little, like all like talking to him, oh, we're so, you know, congratulations, et cetera. And I'm trying to like figure out like what's going on. And, well, he had just met a young lady. And they're like, oh, that's awesome, congratulations. And I'm thinking in my seat, he hasn't done anything. <laughs> like he's still unemployed, still living in his parents' home, leeching off his parents, not paying. He didn't do anything. Congratulations. Like get a job, you know, make some money hold a job, you know, but I mean, okay, besides all that, but like, they weren't asking like, is she really following Jesus? Is this the will of God? Congratulations. I mean, do you see how sometimes we say that marriage is holy, but we are actually not treating marriage holy. We're actually soiling the holiness of marriage. We're even confusing our kids about marriage. How, how remember um, fairy tales? How do all fairy tales end? Well, no, first they get married and then they live happily ever after, right? The end, like the kids are like, tell me more. Sorry, they get married. The end, end of story. <laughs> Nothing else to tell here. No 10-year checkup, no 20-year checkup. I mean, hopefully they're still living happily ever after. Or I mean, it's 2022, so hopefully they're still married. <laughs> but this is the real lesson we should be teaching our little kids. It is not marriage that should bring you ultimate contentment. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who should bring you ultimate contentment, whether you're single or whether you're married. We have it all wrong. Even when we talk about marriage, and it's so hard for me to talk, say marriage without saying marriage. <laughs> Inconceivable. <laughs> for those of you that don't know, you have to watch Princess Bride. <laughs> like, if you haven't watched that, you're not part of the cult yet, okay? <laughs> I, I've probably watched that 10 times. How many of you guys have watched it more? How many of you have never watched it? You have to write that down, Princess Bride. It is classic of class. Like, there's a few, you know, like part of this cult. You got, you got to watch like Sound of Music. Got to watch like you know Princess Bride. You know, anyway, the Princess Bride. It is classic. Yeah. Anyway, then you'll know what I'm talking about. So where was I? Marriage. So uh, we we th we treat marriage as like the only way to be happy and. Even, even when we talk about, and I hear husbands, they're like, you know, this is my better half, and, and they probably are right. <laughs> but I think we need to not see that we are two halves coming together. Yes. Jesus says, he's pointing back to Genesis where he says the two become one. It does not say the two halves become one. It's the two 
become one. So when I taught for 12 years at Moody Bridal Institute, <laughs> I told them, before you become one, be whole. Before you become one in marriage, be whole in Christ. Because marriage does not make you whole. Only Jesus does. And when two people try to come together to become whole, they don't. They just become a codependent mess. And I'm not dissing marriage. I'm 51 years old. I'm open to biblical marriage. But that's not my goal. Jesus is my goal. And we need to lift up the beauty and gift of marriage. But I think we have done that at the expense of singleness. So now singleness at best is a consolation prize. I'm so sorry you're single. <laughs> Most single Christians are projects. Right? And we want to, we, we see our Christian single friends and often what we feel most than anything else is pity. Oh, I feel so sorry for her. She must have it so hard. That's why we want to fix them up with someone. Think about the word we use, fix. They need to be fixed of that problem. We need to look to what the Word of God says about singleness. 1 Corinthians 7, one of the best, one of the most important chapters on not only singleness, but marriage as well. And in this chapter, Paul not only says that singleness is good, he calls it a gift. Can you believe that? But let me give you advice for those in this room who are no longer single and you're married. Don't keep reminding your single friends that this is a gift. <laughs> I know very few singles that actually like that verse. You know, like, you know, I don't know anyone that's like, oh, yeah, First Corinthians 7, 7, sincerely, <laughs> woo <laughs> It's usually the opposite. Like, I don't know what Paul's talking about here because it don't feel like a gift. Actually, what's, what's the return policy on that? You know, still got that receipt. Can I give it back like a bad Christmas present? And I understand that as a single man. I know singleness is not easy. It's difficult. But I've spoken to some married people, and I hear that marriage at times can be difficult. But with those difficulties come some blessings. In the same way, singleness has some difficulties, but there's also blessings. Why is it then that as a church, we only focus upon the enormous challenges of singleness and the enormous blessings of marriage? See how this is starkly inconsistent and unbiblical? I mean, we, we can all agree that marriage is a gift, but when it comes to singleness, we don't wholeheartedly agree that it's a gift. You know what most people say? They say singleness. It's a calling. Not anyone can be single. You have to be either Superman or Wonder Woman to be single, which I don't know if you've noticed, but most of the superheroes are single. <laughs> and their love interest is their weakness. You have to, so no wonder why youth have a problem or are so confused upon singleness on marriage, because you have to have superhuman powers just to be single. And the majority of my friends are married. They're happily married. But they tell me that marriage takes work, loving unconditionally. That's not easy. Paul in Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How? By giving up your life for her. Amen, wives? Amen, ladies? Yes. 
So I don't know what husband that doesn't struggle with that nearly impossible calling. So do you know what I say, tongue in cheek, about marriage? I say marriage, whew, that's a calling. Seriously. <laughs> Singleness, that's a gift. I don't have to lay my life down for anyone yet. But I'm not demoting marriage. I'm just reading the full counsel of God and recognizing that Godly marriage and godly singleness are two sides of the same coin. We should no longer only emphasize one over against the other because I don't think we're ready to address sexuality until we first redeem singleness. Second, we need to be consistent regarding sexuality. What is God's standard? Because I often hear the Bible promotes heterosexuality. God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and? So obviously people will say the Bible promotes heterosexuality, but is that really true? Because we need to think biblically and critically. Because is heterosexuality really the standard? Let me define heterosexuality. It means being attracted to someone of the opposite sex. That's pretty broad. Being sexually intimate with someone of the opposite sex. That's very broad. So broad that I could be sleeping with half a dozen women. That's considered heterosexual, isn't it? I could be, an un I could be a married man, and I'm cheating on my wife with another woman. That's also heterosexual. I could be an unmarried man, and I have a girlfriend, we're living together, we have a couple children together, out of wedlock, and that's, that's also considered heterosexual. Those three scenarios that I gave you are all sinful. God would never use a standard when it included sin, sinful behavior. So what is it? See, heterosexuality, it might be the right direction, but it's too broad. And when we're living in a world of infinite shades of gray, not just 50. <laughs> if the world is ambiguous, we should not be ambiguous as well. Heterosexuality is ambiguous. It's not clear. And when we're promoting heterosexuality, we could be inadvertently promoting sin. And God forbid that. So, if it's not heterosexuality and not homosexuality, what is it? Holy sexuality. What is holy sexuality? Holy sexuality, when I read through the full counsel of God, there's only two paths laying out for us from Genesis to Revelation. Two paths. First path is when you are single, which all of us start out as single. Every one of us starts out as single. When you are single, how are you going to live? You're going to be sexually abstinent. The other path is if you get married, and most will marry, if you're married, how are you going to live? When I say marriage, I'm just using Jesus' definition, the Bible's definition, Genesis' definition, a male and a female. If you're married, you're going to be faithful to your spouse or the opposite sex. So quite simply, holy sexuality is chastity in singleness or faithfulness in marriage. And what I realized, there was not one term for, term for both of those. And not only is heterosexuality too broad, but heterosexuality says nothing about sing how singles should live. Nothing. So it's not inclusive enough. It does not talk about chastity and singleness or faithfulness in marriage. So I created a new term, but actually the term may be new, but the concept definitely is not. The concept is just coming out of Scripture. Chastity and singleness, faithfulness in marriage. And what I also like about this term is this term applies to every human being, every one of us. Whether you're young or old, whether you have opposite sex attractions, same sex attractions, both or none, we all need to pursue same, we all need to pursue holy sexuality, holiness. 
And you might think, well, that's fine, but my gay friend can only be on that one path for the rest of her or his life. Not necessarily so. Because I believe in a God who does miracles. Does anyone else believe in a God who does miracles? What may seem impossible to me is possible to God. If God can raise the dead to life, this is nothing for God. Amen? But that doesn't mean that I'm entitled to it. That doesn't mean that he's going to do what I say when I say it. But it does mean that I need to stop planning out my life. This is how I view my future. Like that. An open hand. I did this for years. It took a long time for God to pry my hands open. And it hurt. But I've learned my lesson. This is my future. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is tomorrow, next year. But he has my future. And yes, I have HIV. There's no cure. But I already know if I'm in the center of God's will, I'm invincible. So this is my future. So let me tell you a story about a good friend. He lived as a gay man for years, like myself, comes to Christ, had no interest in the opposite sex, so he was going to be single for the rest of his life. He was part of a great church. He became really close friends with this young lady. She came from a broken past. Um, she, before she came to Christ, she was sexually active, dated boys. She had a couple abortions, unfortunately. And then when she came to Christ, she wasn't going to date because many of those relationships with boys were just a bit toxic. Because she committed, when she came to Christ, she just wanted to focus on a relationship with God. So she wasn't going to date. So the two of them became really close friends, like buddies. There wasn't that tension that happens between a young man and a young lady. You know, does he like me? Does she like me? You know, he's looking at me. What does that mean? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Like ladies, when you ask your husband, what are you thinking? Nothing. <laughs> That's true. It's possible. Okay. Blank. For ladies, not so much. I saw this great um, meme of like the difference between a man and a woman, and it just showed two machines. On one side was the machine and had a knob. On, off. Man. And then the other one was another machine. Had gears and lights and dials like all over the place. Woman. We're different. Can I get an amen? I know that it might sound offensive. I hope it didn't hurt anyone's feelings. But men and women are gloriously different. We have similarities, but we're also distinct. So we see, um, so my friend, they, they were buddies. They were none of that weirdness. And because he knew she didn't want to date and she knew he didn't like girls. So they became like best friends. After some time of being buddies, they did everything together. They were like share whatever was on their mind. After some time of being best friends, he began noticing some things about her that he hadn't noticed before, like her hair. She smelled good and she had curves. <laughs> he says, puberty is hard going through once, try going through puberty twice. 
he got up enough courage, asked her on a date, and then after some dating, he asked her to marry him. And on their wedding night, he told his new bride, he said, honey, I cannot explain this. I'm not attracted to any other women. I'm only attracted to you. Sanctification is not dependent upon our sexual desires or any desire for that matter. That would be a disaster. Holiness is a gift from the Holy One. Chastity and singleness, faithfulness in marriage. Third, we need to be consistent regarding change. What does change look like? Because we think change means gay to straight or means like if someone, if a guy, a person is still tempted in this way, has this person not been changed? Well, do we apply that principle to any other sin struggle? Say there's a guy who's a drunk, comes to Jesus, stops drinking, but after years of sobriety, he admits he's still tempted. Would we tell him, you have not been changed? We need to lay some hands on you. You need some deliverance. I hope not, because the manifestation of God's grace is more evident in his life because he says no to his flesh and says yes to God daily. So change is not the absence of temptations, but change is the spirit-wrought ability to be holy, even in the midst of temptations. Because God's faithfulness is not shown by taking our struggle away. That's not how God works. God's faithfulness is shown by carrying us through it. So we need to be convicted. We need to be consistent in three ways regarding relationship, sexuality, and change. And the third, we need to be compassionate. I've been teaching at Moody for, I taught at Moody for 12 years now, now that I'm living in San Diego with my parents. We, I'm not teaching there anymore, but I taught there for 12 years and every semester I had students. Now this is a Bible college, students that confided with me that they're wrestling with their same-sex attractions. And what sometimes breaks my heart is that they've never told anyone. Because feeling so isolated, they sometimes do suffer with depression and thoughts of suicide. So for some, this can be an issue between life and death. So how can we be more compassionate? First, expect that this is present here in our own churches, in our own homes, in our own small groups. Because I get people who are still surprised and shocked. Like, oh man, I grew up with this guy. We grew up in youth group and he, he tells me now he has same-sex attractions. I don't know how it happened. He came from a good home. He has Christian parents. He was even homeschooled. And I'm like, okay, wait a second. Are you really saying some com comes from a good home, Christian parents, homeschooled, that they're somehow exempt from struggling with sin? All right, newsflash. I bet even right now in this room, we might have maybe a couple, maybe three or four of you that might be struggling with sin. <laughs> don't raise your hand. I don't want you to stick out or embarrass you, right? <laughs> We're all fighting our temptations, right? I mean, what's a body of Christ? Are we a group of people who've got it all together, got a duck in a row, no problems, we meet once a week, we hold hands, and we sing kumbaya? Is that what we are? Or is a church a group of people who know we're broken and we need Jesus? I'll just be honest with you. I am broken and I need Jesus. Anyone out there that can relate to that in any way, shape, or form? And so let us all hand in hand walk together to him. Not because I can fix you, I can't. Not because I have the answers, I don't. But I know someone who does, and his name is Jesus. At the end of the day, I'm really no different from any of you. Because I, I, I've heard this even on social media and elsewhere. Or even people come up to me and be like, oh man, you must have it so hard. 
Or I hear people that are like, oh, these people who have same-sex attraction, or like, this is really common in the gay celibate Christian movement, which I think is off. They're like, oh, these people who I know, they're, they're, they're just some of the most godly Christian people that I know, like as if they have it harder than everyone else. I don't. Jesus tells all of us what it means to follow Jesus. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. If you think I have it harder because I'm denying myself, maybe you're not really following Jesus. Following Jesus should cost us everything. If it hasn't, you are following the wrong Jesus. It's when you give up everything and then the Lord God allows you to keep some things those things are not ours, they're all his. So it's, expect this present here, know your position. And sometimes our position is like, don't do it, it's bad. That can't be our position. Position to me is like, what's the main takeaway? You know what's the main takeaway? Like for all my talks, this whole morning, this is my main point. Follow Jesus. There's nothing more important than that. That's my main takeaway. Third, maybe you have a loved one or a friend that you've always wondered whether they're wrestling with it. So you want to tell them, ask them, so you can walk with them through this. So you're thinking, how do I ask? Don't. Imagine if someone came up to you out of the blue and asked, do you have same-sex attractions? <laughs> Awkward, okay. <laughs> But instead, what you can do is give assurance of your friendship. Tell them, I thank God for you, and I just want you to know nothing can change my love for you. When you said that, you just created this safe space, and you, do, you invited them in it. Fourth, let's be a group, group of people who say no to the gay jokes and the bullying. There's nothing Christ-like about making fun of other people. Amen? Amen. And our youth can just be cruel sometimes with their words and flippant. That's so gay. That shirt is so gay. A shirt cannot be gay. <laughs> it's just not possible. You know, how about this? How about suggest to our kids, take your vocabulary and grow it. Like, learn new words. <laughs> you, know? you know, maybe instead of saying, that's so gay, you could say, that's so Baptist, or that's so Presbyterian, or something really <laughs> creative like that. Convicted, consistent, compassionate. Lastly, we need to be complete. And this is complete in our message. We focus upon God's truth. You know why? Because it's truth that sets us free. So what's the truth? Oh, I got it. You know, we just went over this last hour. You know, we're, uh, it's a sin. Don't do it. Is that all? No, that's it. It's a sin. Don't do it. When that's all we say, that's the same thing as giving someone a one spiritual law tract. You guys remember the four spiritual laws? It's not the four spiritual laws, it's the one spiritual law that goes something like this. You're a sinner and you're going to hell. Sorry. In case you didn't know, that's not good news. That's bad news only. But think about it. That's essentially the only message we've been giving to the gay community. That may, might be the only message we're giving to our loved ones. You're a sinner, you're going to hell, there's no hope for you. It's no wonder why the gay community want nothing to do with us, because we have not been giving them the good news. We're telling them the bad news only. We're not telling them the complete truth. We're telling them an incomplete truth. And when you tell someone an incomplete truth, that's just as harmful as telling someone a lie. 
So what is the complete truth? First Corinthians 6, I said this last hour. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then list 10 sins. And in this list, list of 10 sins are two Greek words that focus upon homosexual behavior. Sometimes people look at these verses and say, look, gays and lesbians won't inherit the kingdom of God. When they do that, they conveniently forget about the eight other sins. Because if we look at all 10 sins, none of us should inherit the kingdom of God. Bad news. But I praise the Lord, Paul did not stop there. He goes on to say one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, where he says, such were. What tense is that verb? Past tense. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God. That is not good news. That's amazing news. That is news that we can declare to anyone who needs to know about Jesus Christ. So our message has to be redemptive. It needs to focus upon the good news of Jesus. If we're not sharing that good news, if we're not sharing about Jesus, you're not sharing the gospel. Our loved ones and friends and our neighbors who identify as gay or lesbian or transgender, their main issue is actually not their sexuality or their gender. Their main issue is their need to follow Jesus. My biggest sin was not being in a same-sex relationship. My biggest sin was unbelief. We need to make sure we make the most important issue the most important issue. So how do we do that? I'm gonna give some practical things here before we jump into the Q&A. If, if you, some of you guys need to uh, head out because I'm going over. Uh, feel free to, you won't hurt my feelings too much. Uh, but we, before we jump in, I'm going to give you some practical things here. First, how do we minister to Christians who have same-sex attractions? No, this is wrong. How do we walk with them? The other would be those who identify as gay, think there's nothing wrong with it, whether they're Christian or not. How do we share the true gospel? First group, Christians who have same-sex attractions. Say after this weekend, you have a loved one, a friend who confides with you, they're wrestling with their sexuality, and you know they're a Christian, and you know they believe in the Bible, that this is not God's will, but how do you walk with them? What are, how would you respond? Number one, thank them. First thing, thank them. Thank them for trusting you with this really private, difficult matter to share. Don't freak out. Thank them. Number two, tell them that they're not alone. So many times people think they have to go through life. That's a scary thought to think you have to go through life alone. And don't think that you have to know everything there is to know about this. Because I sometimes get people who are stumped. They're like, I don't know how to help this guy. And I'm like, why? Because I don't have same-sex attractions. And like, they kind of tell me more about the story. And like five times he tells me, like, I don't have same-sex attractions. I was like, I got it. You don't have same-sex attractions. But when is it that we have to know everything there is to know about a sin struggle or actually struggle with ourselves to then help another person? Do you have to know how to shoot up with heroin to help a heroin addict? Yes or no? Thank you. No. <laughs> Do you have to look at pornography to help someone else who's struggling with pornography? Yes or no? Do you have to commit adultery to help an adulteress? Then why all of a sudden, I don't know how to help this person because I don't have same-sex attractions? Note this to be true. If you know Jesus, and if you've ever had any victory over your own sin, you could help another sinner. Amen? Do not allow Satan to immobilize you into thinking you can't do anything. Because when people come to you in their time of need, when people come to you in their time of need, what they don't need most is an expert. 
what they do need most is a friend. And you can be that friend. Third, help remind them that their identity needs to be in Christ. And I spend that whole first hour on this. So, I mean, that, like, of all of these things is one of the most important because our identity is not in our sexuality. But, man, our kids, they never knew a time when same-sex marriage was not legal and not only legal, but it was embraced. And they didn't know a time when sexuality was made who we are. I mean, like, back, you know, I mean, I, I'm a, I was born in 1970. And that, back then, it was a huge stigma. Like, I think maybe then we were kind of still separating sexuality, what you did and what you felt with who we are. But that it's completely, our kids are swimming in this. It, for them to kind of break that paradigm is going to be really hard because that's all they hear. But we have to help our kids to see this. This is not who a person is. It's what they feel, and we can admit it's a strong feeling. It can be an unchosen feeling, but no unchosen feeling should ever be who we are. This is so key. Our identity is not in our feelings and our attractions and our sexuality. It's in Jesus Christ alone. Amen? Amen. I don't identify as gay. That's not who I am. I mean, even more things that are really a part of who I am. Like, I don't walk around and be like, hi, I'm a Chinese Christian. <laughs> I am Chinese. I am, but any, anything is way, way, way secondary to my identity in Christ. So we have to make sure that's everything. Identity is in Christ. Fourth, be realistic. Don't give these false promises. Pray really hard. You could pray away the gay. <laughs> Prayer is important. Reading the Bible is important, but I don't read those so I don't have any problems. I do that so that when difficulties come, I can remain firmly grounded in God's truth. Fifth, don't focus on, don't focus on the externals, how people walk or talk. I want to see change from the inside out, not from the outside in. Sixth, encourage God-honoring relationships in the spiritual family. There's all this talk today about spiritual friendships. And you guys, are you guys familiar with that, the spiritual friendship movement, which is essentially, it's gay marriage minus the sex. They're promoting these lifelong covenanted friendships, which is like they, they have a ceremony together. They actually have anniversaries together. So it's basically these two same-sex attracted men who do life together for life, which, I mean, sounds, you know, innocuous. But I can't imagine, like, if there's someone that I actually love, like husbands and wives, can you imagine that you, like, live together, but you could never had sex together? Like, you couldn't touch each other. That's not only unreasonable, but miserable. Like, that would just, that would not make sense. And it's not even living above reproach. Like, if not, you know? So it's, we need to, uh, what, it's not spiritual friendship, but spiritual family, because that's biblical. God points us to, it's the family of God. What? Singles need more than anything else is not pity. We just need to be loved like everyone else. That though I might not have a spouse or children, I have something better. I have something better that Isaiah talks about in chapter 56, better than sons and daughters. And you know what that is? I have the family of God. Amen? 
you know, we, our relationships that we have today that are bound by physical blood, our brothers, our sisters, our parents, our cousins, uncles, you know those are only temporary? Some of you are like, praise the Lord. (laughs) The only relationships that we can carry on into eternity are those bound by the blood of Jesus. If you know Jesus, you are my eternal sister and my eternal brother. Let's start living like that. Which also points to as single men and women. Do not think that you cannot fill the Great Commission or even the creation mandate. Be fruitful and multiply. Because we think be fruitful and multiply means that the only way to do that is to get married and have babies. Because if that were true, then Jesus disobeyed God. Jesus did not disobey God. If anything, he was the one that fully, completely fulfilled be fruitful and multiply. Because he didn't have physical babies. He had spiritual children. Which means, for those of us who are single, we can be fruitful and multiply. We can't have physical children, but we should be begetting spiritual children. Which means making disciples. I actually find Genesis 128 connected with Matthew 28. Being fruitful and multiply is actually repeated in the New Testament. Go and make disciples. On Father's Day, I can celebrate Father's Day of all the spiritual children that I have. Isn't that awesome? Like when you understand all of this in light of the gospel, it really don't matter whether you're single or married. The gospel is everything. So how do we share Christ with those in the gay community? Here's things that you should not do. Do not compare this with an addiction, pedophilia, or murder. Not a good way to win people to Christ, by the way. Second, don't say these two words, lifestyle or choice. I never use those words as a gay man. Do you know why? I had the wrong identity. When you have the wrong identity, it changes the way you view everything. It distorts everything. I had to... I had to get rid of my wrong identity first. This is not my lifestyle. This is who I was, I thought. So I'm willing to not use a word or two for the sake of winning people to Christ. Third, don't say love the sin or hate the sin. Do it, don't say it. When you tell someone I love you, but I hate your sin, they don't feel loved. (laughs) They just hear you saying, I hate you. Because they can't separate their sexuality, their sin from who they are. Fourth, don't feel the need that you have to debate all the time with people. There's a time for truth when God softens their heart. So when people ask, do you think this is sin? It's okay to deflect and not answer that question. You know, Jesus did not answer every question. One time he was silent, wasn't he? Other times he answered a question with a question. Still other times... He did give an answer, just not to their question. People ask, do you think this is sin? It's okay to deflect to the more important question because even if I convince this person that it was sin, if they don't know Jesus, they're still lost. So when they ask, do you think this is sin? I'm gonna deflect it to the more important question. You could say something like this. 
My friend, I know you don't even believe in God, so what does it matter to you what God thinks is sin? The more important question is, is there a God? You can't understand God's morality if you don't even believe that there, could, there is a God. So let's talk about the existence of God. See how I just deflected to the more important question? Because talk about God and his son Jesus leads to salvation. Morality never saves anyone. So what should you do? Number one, pray. Pray and fast. You guys know the movie War Room? Remember that years ago? That movie War Room, written by the Kendrick brothers, the Kendrick brothers wanted to turn their movie into a book. So they worked with Chris Fabry of Moody Radio to turn their movie into a book. When their book came out at the same time of the movie, my parents and I got a complimentary copy. And when we opened it, we saw that Chris Fabry had dedicated that book to my mom. Do battle for people who, not, who cannot battle for themselves. Stand in the gap. Pray and fast. Not if you fast, Jesus says, but when you fast. Second, listen. Don't be quick to speak, but be quick to listen. If you want others to listen to you, we need to listen to them first. You know, tell me more about when you came out. Tell me about your partner. Just listening does not mean you agree. You don't have to tell them, well, you know what I think about that. You need to be conscious about how you respond because maybe your coworkers would say, oh, I'm so happy for you. I can't say that I'm happy for you because that would be affirming the relationship. But I could say, I see this person makes you happy. See the difference? I'm not saying I see I'm happy for you, but I could see I see that this person, is, you, you're, this person makes you happy. I see this is important to you. See the difference? So we need to know how, you know, ask open-ended questions, listen. Third, be intentional. Invite your gay neighbor over for dinner. It's okay, I believe, even to have your child, even their partner, because their partner needs to see Jesus in our own home too. We, and I know right away, if I do that, am I condoning their sin? And, and that's a good question. But last time I checked, we usually have sinners over for dinner. <laughs> Nothing new. You're eating with them. You're not sinning with them. There's a little difference. Fourth, be patient and persistent. It's going to take time for people to come to know Jesus. Lastly, be transparent. Share what God is doing in your life. Be transparent. Talk about what God means to you. You open up the Bible to your unbelieving friend, guess what? They're going to close down. They're, they're not going to listen. But talk about how the Bible has transformed your life this week, this year. Because we should not be the same as we were 10 years ago, 10 w months ago, or even 10 weeks ago. God should be continually transforming you. Talk about that. I would never have considered the gospel if I didn't see the gospel lived out of my parents' lives. I wouldn't have picked up the Bible from the trash. Do you remember that? Who does that? I wouldn't have picked it up if I didn't see the Bible lived on my dad's life and my mom's life. I didn't leave pursuing same-sex relationships because my mom and dad convinced me that doing it was sinful. I lived it because they showed me something better. And his name is Jesus. Our job as followers of Christ is to show a dying world out there that no matter what they're clinging to, 
all the fool's gold in the world, a job, a career, money, a spouse, children, not only is Jesus better than all of that, but following Jesus is best. I began with my testimony today. And it sounds sensational and very extraordinary. And you may tell others, I heard this guy a testimony about a man who used to identify as gay and now no longer does. And that's true. But that's actually not how I would summarize my testimony. This is my testimony. I once was blind, and now I see. I once was lost, and now I'm found. I once did not believe, and now I believe in the Son of God, and his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. There is no way that I could save myself. Lord, you sent your son while I was still a sinner and he died for me while I was still a sinner. And he rose for me while I was still a sinner so that I could be found. Lord, we pray for all the prodigals in our lives, which are many, Lord, that you would just do your work, not based upon our own our abilities or on our crafty conversations with them, but even in our fumbling words, Lord, use them to point them to you. Lord, help us, Lord, that as we preach the gospel, help us to live it. Lord, we love you, but help us to love you more than life. For it's the matchless name of Jesus that we pray. The people of God said, amen.